don't know about y'all, but my heart has been warmed and softened, and it's been good to be here. Everything that's happened in this service so far has just blessed my soul, and I'm humbled. I'm thankful. As we try to get into this lesson today, um, I want to say a couple introductory remarks. The songs were so appropriate because whatever we know or whatever we think we know, whatever we think we should know, Jesus is, is what matters. He's the foundation of it all. I want us to remember that. Uh, and at the same time, recognizing that Jesus is the foundation and He is who we should keep our eyes on and He is who matters. He is the way, the truth, and the life. That's what I've been trying to preach about. Recognizing that, God also calls His people to sober-mindedness, to live in the world um, as if we're awake. Awake, O sleepers, and rise. That's what Scripture teaches. Um, there's too many people f- kind of floating through life sort of aimlessly, bouncing around. You can't tell if they're awake or asleep or on drugs. Or You can't tell. And God calls us to actively, purposefully serve Him. Part of doing that is not just to be in love with Jesus. That is, that, that's, that's the thing. I mean, that's the foundation. And if you are really love God and are hungry for Him, everything else will work out. Part of loving God is trying to understand His truth. And so, I have been tasked with a, a lesson that I may not finish today. I, I don't really know. But it's so necessary, it's so timely, and I need the Lord's help. Uh, it won't just be, well, I'm going to f- forget my own ideas and remarks. It'll be whatever the Lord wants it to be with His help. And y'all pray to that end. Part of my job is to help us rightly divide the Word of God. Part of your job is to understand what Scripture teaches, not just what somebody thinks it teaches. So, I hope that you will join me in wrestling with a passage that is very misunderstood in our time and is used to do a lot of things that I don't think were intended by the Lord. Romans 13. Romans 13, if you want to turn there, this is the text we'll read. And then we're going to wrestle with just one idea. As you're turning, I I just want to pray. I want to keep my mind and heart on the Lord in this message. Dear Lord Jesus, Lord, I come before you completely inadequate. I don't feel equipped in my mind to even understand what's on my heart. So I ask you to remove any distraction, remove any of my own thoughts, remove any of my own ideas, break any of my own stubbornness, destroy any of my own self-will. Take away any pride. God, help me rely on you as I try to teach what's in my heart. Come with your Holy Spirit as a witness to what is true and help us to use these words to live soberly and vigilantly in this life. To remember that the whole point of knowing truth is to tell people about Jesus and the peace that he gives. In Jesus' name, be with us. Amen.
Romans 13. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou not then be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good, but if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger, to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore you must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. I want to read that in the English Standard Version as well, just so we have two different renderings. I think it will help us. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what's good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good." But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes to the authorities, because they're ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. A surface reading of this passage makes it sound like if you resist earthly authority, government, if you don't go along with whatever they say, then you're displeasing God. You're committing sin and you're you're somehow breaking His law. But is that what it's really saying? Is that what Paul is teaching? This is why I said I want you to wrestle with me, wrestle with this passage. I mean, seek the Lord. It's not going to be solved just in this message. And with the Lord's help, I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions that I pray you would take home and wrestle in prayer with God about and see what He thinks. Because my job is not to tell you what to think, it's to help equip you for sober judgment and Uh, right thinking. So I'm not going to tell you this or that necessarily, but I hope we would wrestle with this and understand what God is pleased with. This word, uh, governing authorities, or as the King James has it, the powers. I think before we can understand what Paul is talking about, we have to wrestle with what authority is and where it comes from. Because there are a lot of our fellow Christians, at least in name, I don't know who's saved and who isn't, but for the last, well, 
recent history, people more and more have said, you have to do this or you have to do that because Romans 13. And the last year and a half has really made this clear. You should do this or that thing. You should whatever. You remember, and let's, let's not mince words. There are jurisdictions and states where the local government, um, I want to be accurate how I say it. In some areas, the governor or the local authorities made an executive order that churches couldn't meet. Our neighboring country in Canada, there are pastors who've been arrested, put in handcuffs, dragged off, and treated very roughly for assembling and preaching the gospel. I've seen an alarming number of people who say they're Christians and who know the Lord saying that that's how it should be. Because Romans 13. If the government tells you you're not allowed to assemble for some whatever reason they say, Romans 13. That's the mindset of many professing Christians today. And I think we've seen it. Uh, I'm trying to be very careful as I approach this message that I don't become unnecessarily political or polarizing, but at the same time, my job is to preach truth and to help us understand truth and to help equip us to understand truth. And we want to examine whether that's an accurate application of Romans 13. Is Paul actually saying, if you want to please God, you have to do whatever the government tells you? It's what it sort of sounds like on the surface. And I think there are some profession Christians who believe that's exactly what he means. So... Let me just ask you, is there ever a point that you think it's appropriate to resist what the earthly government says? If you don't have a point of resistance that you would come up with, I'm not sure if you're living in the world awake. Because there are points that, that I would resist. And it might not be the same ones as you. So let me just ask you a couple of questions and then we'll, we'll look at authority and what scripture teaches. Many people, when the government said, uh, you need to take a two-week break, everybody said, okay. When the government said, you need to limit capacity in your church buildings, many Christians said, that's good, we should, Romans 13. When they said you should wear masks in your church buildings, a lot of people said, okay, Romans 13. When they said uh, you should only have service maybe every other Sunday and only allow some people to come and some people not to come, many Christians said, okay, Romans 13. And I had somebody tell me that as long as there was a health crisis, it was reckless and irresponsible and selfish to go to church. Because Romans 13. Is that right? So I asked people, what if the government decides you're not allowed to meet at all because it causes a mental health crisis in the world? Because they decided God's not real and believing in a delusion causes you to live in a false reality. That's a health crisis. What if the government says that? Oh no, then we should go. Okay. What if they decide that it's a health crisis for you to preach against the sins that the Bible identifies as sins? Which they're doing. 
There, there's a good chance that in our lifetime, in this country, preachers of righteousness will be put in jail. I don't pretend to be brave enough for that. I'll just hope to rely on the Lord if that time comes. But this, this is not some far-off other world. It's happening right now in other countries. On the, in Canada, it's happening. In Afghanistan, people are being killed, beheaded, murdered for their faith in Christ right now in 2021. And many professing Christians in the U.S. are just Romans 13-ing all around. Is that what God wants from us? Let me ask you, Paul wrote this. Where did Paul get his authority? What right did he have to write this? Have we ever asked that? Where did he get his authority? Let's look at that. Galatians chapter 1. Because this will help us understand a little bit about where authority comes from. Galatians 1 verse 1. Paul an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who were with me to the churches at Galatia. This first, this introduction of his letter to the churches in Galatia identifies where he says he got his authority, and then he goes on and explains it. He says, I am an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. The person who wrote Romans 13, who many people assume means you have to do whatever physical government authorities tell you to do, the person who wrote that said he got his authority and his gospel and his calling not from men, but from God. So that's the first thing we have to understand. We can't just rip these eight verses out of the entire Bible and build a whole uh, worldview on it. We need to understand who wrote it. <laughs> We need to understand the context of the rest of this letter to the Roman congregations. We need to understand the rest of Scripture in context of this passage. Paul went on in the, in the beginning of Galatians. I'm not going to take the time to read it, but he says, When God called him, he did not immediately confer with any of the church leaders. He didn't go submit himself immediately to local, identifiable authorities of men. He went to the desert. Spent time alone with God. Then after three years, you can read this in the first two chapters of Galatians, after three years he went and spent 15 days with Peter and he saw James the brother of Jesus. That's it. And he says, none of the churches in Jerusalem even knew me by face. Paul is saved by God's grace on the road to Damascus, called by God's grace. He says, he set me apart from the womb. He spends three years before he even talks to any well-known Christians. Spends time with God, the authority. And I hope with the Lord's help, we'll understand that. Then he only spends 15 days with Peter. He also meets James. He doesn't go get sanctioned by the church at Jerusalem. He doesn't go ask their approval. He's getting to know the Lord. He's preparing to preach. He's preaching. 
And he doesn't go to any identifiable local earthly authority to get approval for anything. You can't divorce the words of a writer from the way the writer lived life. That's a a modern idea that um, is an affront to truth. I was an English major in liberal arts section of the university, and I remember one of my poetry classes, the professor teaching, it doesn't matter what the author thinks they meant when they wrote this. What they actually meant is what you feel they meant when you read it. That's laughable. But this kind of ideology has infected the people around us. So the first thing, foundationally, we need to understand, Paul wrote this. Let's see who Paul was and how he lived. What did he do? Did he get permission from the local authority about everything he did? When God called him to preach, did he go get approval from the church authorities? Did he go get sanctioned by them? No. After 14 years of preaching, then he went to the Lord's churches. He was saved by God, called by God, commissioned by God, sent out by God. And he evangelized the Gentile nations. He preached the gospel to them boldly and faithfully before he ever went and tried to get any kind of approval. After 14 years, he went and wanted to make sure. He said, I wanted to make sure that I was not running or had run in vain. I wanted to be certain. I wanted to confirm that what I was preaching was accurate, that the gospel I'm carrying is what it should be. I want to spend some time with the brothers and fellowship with them and make sure that that we're on the same page. You know what he did? One of the first things he did, he said, I withstood Peter to his face. Some people call Peter the first pope. Peter was uh, an important leader in the early church. He was there with Jesus. He was faithful. He was a prominent pastor. And Paul, being called by God, set apart by God, commissioned by God, came there to try to uh, make sure. And that's a good thing. But he saw that Peter was doing something wrong. Peter had been living honestly with the Gentiles and eating and fellowshipping with them. And then some Judaizers came in and said, you shouldn't be doing that, so he stopped. Peer pressure overcame Peter. And Paul, when he came, he said, you're wrong. This is not how it should be. Where did Paul get his authority? How did he know that? He came to one of the main church leaders to sort of make sure that what he was doing was right, and he found out the church leader was wrong. And he stood up to him. And then he wrote about standing up to him. Just so God's people wouldn't be confused. Brothers and sisters, we can take a lesson before we dig any more into Romans 13 from the man who wrote it, that it is always right to stand for what the supreme authority commands, dictates, and leads. No matter who might disagree with you. If Paul thought... Or if he meant what many professing current contemporary Christians think he meant from Romans 13, 
then he would have gone, submitted himself to Peter, bit his tongue, kept silence, not said anything, and he would have stopped eating with Gentiles too. But it was wrong. It doesn't matter how many people think something is true. If it's not true, it's not true. And it doesn't matter how many people think something is right. If it's not right, it's not right. So that's a little background of Paul, who wrote this, to answer the question, where did Paul get his authority? From God, from Jesus. And that answers the question of where does authority come from, in general, from God. And maybe a more fundamental question is, what is authority? I want to read from Webster's 1828 Dictionary. And just, we'll see what he said authority was, and we'll look at some verses on it. And this, this may take more than one Sunday, but I think we need to study to, to understand. We need to study to show ourselves approved. We need to rightly divide the word of truth. We're living in a time where people, they don't care what the Bible actually says. They just want to twist it to say whatever they want it to say so they can do what they think they should do in their lives. We need to be prepared to give an answer of the hope that's in us. Not just the hope that's in us, but the truth. And that sometimes takes some energy to wrestle with. Webster says there's a few different things authority could mean. It could mean legal power or right, uh, as in the authority of a prince over subjects and parents over children. It could mean power or rule. So this authority is, is what people are usually talking about, and it's what they assume Romans 13 is talking about, submitting yourself to the authorities. It could also mean the power derived from opinion, respect, or esteem, influence, or character, or office. Um, that which is claimed in justification or support of opinions and measures. So this is a, a person who, uh, based on the way they speak, has authority. It could mean testimony or witness, the person who testifies. The Holy Spirit, when we preach the gospel in purity, is, a, is the main uh, testifier of whether what we say is true. And he lends credence to the message and gives it authority, gives it weight. It could also mean weight of testimony or credibility as of a historian of no authority or a great deal of authority. How, how does a person get authority in that sense? Why do you trust some people more than others? It could mean weight of character, respectability, dignity, as in uh, a magistrate of great authority in the city. Um, and it could refer to governments or the people, the individuals exercising power. Where does authority come from? Let, let me ask you, and this, it's going to take, take some brain power. <laughs> We've got to work <laughs> at this message today because I, I want us to wrestle with it, make sure we understand it. Do you believe in the divine right to rule? Before the United States, that's what the majority of the world, pretty much any country, that's what they believed. The divine right to rule. There is a family who has been divinely appointed by the powers in the universe. And it doesn't matter how good or how bad they are. They're divinely appointed. And the sons in succession, they have a right to rule. Everybody else must submit to them. You find that idea in Scripture? I don't. What kind of government did God help Moses establish 
the people. Remember, the people are the ones who wanted a king. God didn't establish that kind of government. The people of Israel said, give us a king to make us like the nations around us. What kind of government did God help Moses establish? It was very, it's very similar, to, very similar to the representative democracy or republic that we have in the U.S. That's where we got the idea for it. Rulers over thousands and hundreds and tens. Local, all the way up to a, a higher level. But not a strong federal or centralized rule. That's what God gave Moses. Just for order. To help keep things from chaos or from falling apart. And so nobody in me trying to wrestle with this passage or this message, I'm not an anarchist. Moses wasn't an anarchist. Don't, don't, don't accuse me of that. That's not what I'm preaching. Until recent history, everybody was expected to bow down to whatever the king wanted, whatever he said. Was God pleased with that? But Romans 13, don't resist or you risk damnation. But is that, is that what he's saying? Put yourself in the shoes of an absolute monarchy. And I'm going to ask some hard questions. What if the king demands your daughter? You know he had that right? Bring me your daughter for a night? Is that pleasing to God? That shouldn't be hard to answer. Is it pleasing to God to let somebody abuse your daughter, violate the first uh, institution that God ever established before sin? Marriage. Take away the purity of an innocent child. Because, Romans 13. That, that's ridiculous. Of course not. So, if there is a place that's too far to take this passage, then it must mean that Paul's not saying absolutely, no matter what, always do whatever the government tells you to do. That's the only logical way this works. Let's, let's bring it into more recent history. I've been reading, rereading a, bi- a biography on Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a Lutheran preacher and pastor and conspirator against Hitler. And he was ultimately killed for it. And I've been studying that how Hitler and the Nazis rose to power and the internal struggle among Christians and church people who kept going along to get along because of ideas like this. Until it was too late. The government started out with small commands, small degrees, small requirements, until they were commanding to turn in their neighbors, their family members. They were exterminating crippled people. This happened. I I stood in Dachau, concentration camp. And I can't describe to you the weightiness and the heaviness of it. I stood in the showers, they called, which were actually gas chambers. And there was something, I don't know how to describe it. It was so oppressive and so troubling and so disturbing that the people I went to that concentration camp with, we we lost our appetites. We, We could barely even eat after that. This didn't happen that long ago. Some of you were alive when it happened. Things like this are still happening in the world. And the notion that you should do whatever the government says, no matter what, because Romans 13 is not only ignorant, it's dangerous. I think any 
rational person would agree that there was a point. Now, the, the, the line may be different person to person. For Bonhoeffer, the line was very early. He began speaking out against the Nazi regime as soon as they took power. Publicly preaching against that. Because he didn't believe that a man should have um, the power of a deity on earth. And that's what Hitler assumed to himself. There were other people who took years to stand out against it. But any rational person, I think, would agree that the right thing to do was to oppose that evil. Nobody who exterminates people based on race or disability, nobody who believes that they're superior based on the color of their skin is right. They can't be. This is why I said I can't uh, tell you what to think. But hopefully with the Lord's help, I'll, I'll help us wrestle with some of this so that we can figure out from Him what He would be pleased with. Because brothers and sisters, that's what matters. So we would agree, there's a point that it doesn't matter what the government says, you need to resist it. The point's different for different people, but at some point that happens, unless you're asleep. We can think of example after example of God's faithful people who did that. The same person who wrote Romans 13 was let down a wall in a basket to escape the local authorities. <laughs> they let Paul down because he was about to be... Why didn't he just submit himself to the local authorities as unto God? No, because that's not what he meant. If that's what he meant, he would have done it. Example after example we can, we can think of. Rahab the harlot, who is spoken of in Scripture as a, a faithful woman, a woman of virtue, notwithstanding her past. She did what God was pleased with. She lied to the government. She hid people. Same thing that, that people did in the time of the Nazis to their neighbor, their Jew, Jews and other people who wanted to be killed. They protected them. They resisted the government. Rahab pleased God. Scripture makes that clear. So this can't be on the surface what Paul was talking about. Is Paul contradicting the entire history of God's people? How about when Nebuchadnezzar erected his image of gold that was 90 feet tall and he said, when the music plays, you must bow down. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they resisted. Now, they weren't picketing in the streets or doing something ridiculous. They just refused. I will not comply. Was that pleasing to God? Absolutely. No question. They're described in Scripture as heroes of faith. How about Moses? When he escaped and took the people out of... Egyptian bondage. Absolutely. He resisted the authority. The authority was bad. I love what those three Hebrew boys told the king. The king told them what would happen. They said, oh king, we're not careful to answer you. In other words, we don't even have to give it a second thought. And the way they answered was with boldness and confidence, not arrogance or pride. They said, if our God chooses to, he can deliver us from out, from out of your hand and out of the fiery furnace. They recognized that this ruler was doing evil things that weren't pleasing to the supreme authority. They submitted themselves to the supreme authority, not to him. They said, if, if, if God chooses, he can deliver us, but even if not, we will not bow. 
in their hearts, they said, burn us up. And the way they answered tells me they weren't naming, claiming in faith that deliverance would happen. I don't think they necessarily expected to retain their lives intact. The way they answered, they said, this is not about our comfort. This is not about our lives. This is not about some misapplication of Scripture. This is about submitting to the supreme authority, the only one in the world who has authority. And we cannot bow to you. It doesn't matter what happens to us. You know that's what's happening in Afghanistan right now. Right now. You know the story. God delivered them. But there are plenty of people, perhaps millions through history, who have willfully laid down their lives because of something that was greater than the local authority who was promoting evil. So any of us, if we look at this with pure hearts, rationally would agree that there comes a point somewhere where it may be appropriate to resist what the local authority says. And I'm not telling you where that line is. That's something you have to figure out with God. But I think that's the only way we can understand this passage without taking it out of context. Speaking of that, where does government even get authority? You know what the Declaration says, our Declaration? I'll just quote a bit of it. Because when I read the lives of those men, many of the signers, they were a lot better Christians than most of us. They, they, they got it. They stood. I mean, they, not every single one of them, but many of them hungered and thirst for righteousness. And this is what they came up with. They said, we hold these truths to be self-evident. In other words, what we're about to say is self-evident. It doesn't need somebody to explain it. It's there. That all men are created equal. That's how God created us that they are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights. There are things, this is what this document says, which I think accords with Scripture. God, the Creator, has given you certain rights that the local government can't take away. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Pursuit of happiness, it really is property rights. That you have the right to live, you have the right to be free, to worship the Lord or not, to raise your children how you want to. These are inalienable rights the Creator gave us. Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men deriving their just power from the consent of the governed. Why does government exist? To make sure that the liberties that God gave you, to make sure those are intact. That's why government exists. And where does government get its authority? That to secure these rights, uh, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just power from the consent of the governed. They get their authority from you. And they continue in, in the declaration that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it. How did we get this country that is the first experiment 
in true freedom in history as far as an earthly government? How did we get it? There were men of God and businessmen and other people who felt like freedom was important enough to risk their lives and in some cases to die for. And they didn't misunderstand Romans 13 and say we can't resist the king. There were many people who were doing that at the time, but there were people who understood that God has called us to liberty. To freedom. To free those in bondage. And is America without its own scars or problems? Of course not. It's not what I'm saying. But if these people back then, when our nation came to be a nation, the colonies declared their independence, if they had applied Romans 13 like we've been trained to apply it, <laughs> they wouldn't have had the Boston Tea Party, they wouldn't have had any rebellion, they wouldn't have had any resistance. And who knows what the world would be like. I mean, literally, who knows? I'm thankful that those men understood that true authority is only in God. That the king has no divine right to rule. That he doesn't have any right to your children or to your homes or to your crops or to your families. That this is not something God appointed, no matter if he said it was, the, the, the local leader. I'm thankful that they had enough of an understanding of God and His power and His authority to recognize a false authority when they looked at it. Just like the people of God have always done. You may say this is a strange sermon. <laughs> Maybe I could spend less time on this if people were still taught to think in the school systems instead of being conditioned to think a certain thing. Maybe I could spend less time on this if people studied what God actually wanted instead of just sharing inaccurate memes all the time. I'd rather just preach the pure gospel, but part of my job is to, to help us understand truth. And I don't know how well I'm doing it, but I, I pray that we will at least wrestle with this passage next time somebody Romans 13s us and, and realize there's a limit to it. This doesn't give the government unlimited rights to everything about my life. Let's look at some scriptures. And by the way, this... Uh, verse translated as authority or power occurs 103 times in the New Testament in 93 distinct verses so it's a pretty significant idea let's look at the very first time that it's ever used i think it'll under, help us understand what authority is matthew 7:29 jesus has begun his earthly ministry he has been uh, going about doing miracles. He was led into the wilderness for 40 days by the Holy Spirit to be tempted of Satan, to understand what it's like to be one of us. And he withstood, he stood up to that, he was used by God to bring us liberty and freedom. He goes up in the mountain and preaches what we call the Sermon on the Mount, where he corrects a lot of historical errors about doctrine and helps people understand the more pure way of God. And at the end of that, that's Romans 7.29. After he preaches, 
It says this, He taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. All these people around us today think people have authority based on their office, what government position they hold. The very first time this word is ever used in the New Testament, we see a distinction between people with uh, offices that have no authority and a man sent by God who has all the authority, even though he has none of the titles. He taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. What are scribes? Scribes were the legal experts, historical experts of the Jews at the time. They, they were kind of like what we call lawyers today. But lawyers who specialized in Jewish uh, scripture and in Jewish customs and Jewish traditions. They could uh, write uh, wedding um, decree, whatever those are called, certificates. They uh, could perform different ceremonies. They, they're basically lawyers. They are the people that, if you ask somebody around here, who, who's an expert? They, <laughs> well, that's all another thing. What's an expert? Have they become an expert? And should you listen to the expert? Should you? How did these people get to be... They were scribes. They were experts on the law. How did they get to be experts? They all kept repeating what each other said. That's why they... I mean, that really. They went to the right schools, listened to the right people, said the right things, and they became experts. But compared to Jesus, they had no authority. Brothers and sisters, don't misunderstand me, but I want to say this clearly. As a God-called minister, I have more authority to tell you truth than any of these earthly appointed experts. You have a more authority as a child of God and a member of the Lord's congregation than any local judge or magistrate has. Scripture, you know what it says? Do you not know that you'll judge the world, angels? Jesus said, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. And he gave his authority to his people. He taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. This is a beautiful contradiction or juxtaposition. That these people recognize that these, this group of experts, this group of scholars, this group of legal experts that we've been taught our whole life know what they're talking about. They hear Jesus talk and say, there's something different about him. Where did he get that authority? You hear a, a man of God preach or a saved person of God tell their testimony or what God's done for them with purity and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the same way you react to that. Wow, there's something different. They have some power that I haven't seen in any of these worldly experts. He was one having authority, not as the scribes. There are, I'm not going to take the time today to go through all of these passages. I think next week I may finish, unless something else is on my heart. But there, there are things that Christians should never say, should never submit to, should never promulgate. We need to be careful what authority we are appointing, submitting to, promoting. We need to be careful who we're worshiping. As I've watched many professing Christians in the last period of time, not just the last couple of years, but most of my life, 
most profession Christians don't actually worship God. They worship their idea of who God is. Many of them worship the state, not God. Listen, giving more authority to a local government appointee, which, by the way, they're supposed to be a civil servant. They're supposed to be your servant, not a ruler. But allowing them to have more authority in your life than God and His Word? I preached this last year, last summer. Blindly submitting, without question, to whatever the government says is not an example of Romans 13 Christianity. It's an example of Exodus 20 idolatry. And I hope instead of an impassioned exhortation like I gave a year ago, this is more reasoned and logical. I hope that this will help people understand why. It's not pleasing to God for you to blindly submit to whatever the local government or federal government says. What if they're wrong? What's pleasing to God is for you to seek Him out, seek His will, understand His precepts, have a mind that's transformed by Him, not conformed to the world. I mean, the same person who wrote Romans 13 said, be not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I have heard so many professing Christians, the message they're preaching or promoting or talking about is conform, conform, conform. Submit, submit. Is that in accordance with the will of God? I already know what I think, but I want you to wrestle with this, talk to the Lord, pray to Him, see what He thinks. There's another statement that I've heard repeated over and over, and, and I've really prayerfully wrestled with how I should try to preach this message. This is something I feel like I should say. I keep seeing professing Christians say, trust the science. Where do they get that idea? Did you get it out of the Bible? What is science? What if the scientists are wrong? And they often are. And by the way, no true scientist would ever say, trust the science. Trust the science is a statement that a religious leader would make. And people who say that aren't promoting science, they're promoting a false religion. Now, I'm not telling you what to believe or what to do. Let's be clear. I'm not telling you about a vaccine or a mask. That's your choice. But unlike a lot of professing Christians, I actually believe it's your choice. And it doesn't matter what the government thinks about it. Let me be clear. You're created by a holy God, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And He has created you in submission to Him, but as a sovereign entity. You don't have to submit to evil authorities, to false leaders, to people who demand things that are bad. You don't. I pray, and this is in my heart, that God would help me and help His people. I, I think we've sort of sat back in the shadows too long. I'm not talking about getting political. And I don't want this message to do that. I don't want it to become unnecessarily polarizing or Josh is anti this. or No, that's not the point. The point is God is the authority. What does He want? But I pray that God would help us be more bold and more vocal to speak truth. That is our job. And it doesn't matter how many people have a different opinion if they're wrong. I'll say this as I get ready to close. 
pray for the effort next week if we continue with this. I don't know if we will or not, but it may be necessary. I don't find in Scripture that any government authority has any right to tell you what you're allowed to do with your body. I don't see that in Scripture. Or to tell me what my child's allowed to do with her body. The same people who are telling me that about masks and vaccines are the same people who tell me she might be a boy or a girl or neither one. This is ridiculous. It's time for God's people to get in His Word and understand what He thinks and what He wants and what pleases Him and stop being scared of what's around us. Stop being scared of peer pressure, brothers and sisters. When Paul went and visited with the, the, the churches in, in Jerusalem and he found out their main leader was wrong, he stood up to him. Not because he wanted to be bold or because or he had too much pride. That wasn't the point. The point was there is a truth that's worth standing for. And this gospel that you're preaching, Peter, you're not living it out. And I think that's part of what God is calling us to in this time. There is truth that's worth standing for. And if we just allow the government, whoever they are, to do whatever they want, whenever they want, pretty soon we're not going to have a choice. And that's not some far off, unbelievable thing. It's happening. I hope this message with God's help is maybe a logical rally cry for us to stand a reasoned rally cry for us to stand. I have to answer to God for what happens to my body, in my home, to my family. And I want to say this, and don't misunderstand me, it's none of your business. And it's none of the government's business. And we can, we can prove that with Scripture. Maybe a different kind of message, but I think necessary. We're supposed to be bold as lions, brothers and sisters. I preached last Sunday night, some of you were there, about a warrior's heart. (laughs) Oh, I pray God would remove all fear and cowardice and anything wavering from us. I'm not telling you to have a certain political opinion. I'm telling you to figure out what God is pleased with and stand. If you're listening to this message later, you're here, this is a different kind of sermon. Listen, uh, Jesus didn't come to establish some comfy religion. He came to help us know how to live in a real world. To, re- to have, I mean, the real problems around us. How to deal with them, how to address them, how to, how to live with the brokenness and the sadness and the sickness and the craziness. That he, he established a new and living way like I preached. And that's part of why I'm preaching like this. If you hear this message and you think it's wild or unusual or crazy or maybe even inappropriate, uh, it's not. And somebody might not agree with me. I, I welcome that. But if you want to try to disagree with me, use Scripture. Brothers and sisters, uh, I want to close by saying we have work to do. We have a God to serve. We have a King to lift up. We have a gospel to preach and promote. And we have life to live. We have life to live. Let's do it. God bless you all.